Kia ora, again. Uh, I thought I would start um, with a little bit of an Easter quiz. So I kept the chocolates. There are more chances for chocolate. So, an almond cranberry chocolate will go to the person who can tell me what was the name of the criminal that was set free so that Jesus could be crucified? Jesus. <laughs> Peppermint. What was one of the things that, one of the words that Jesus cried out from the cross? Whoops, that was a terrible throw. Sorry, Rosemary. Uh, what else have we got in here? Hokey pokey crunch. Who did Jesus first appear to when he was resurrected? Mary. Uh, and Berry Forest Mini. Uh, how long after appearing, you know, his resurrection appearances, did Jesus ascend into heaven? 40 days. <laughs> nice catch. Oh. I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know, edgy. We'll see how we go. Um, he is risen, eh? Yes, it's so cool. It is, it is so cool. And it's such a privilege to be able to speak and talk about resurrection. It's, it's just one of the best things ever, or if not the best thing ever, really. I um, really like the series that we did leading up to this on all the different sayings from the cross. And both Natalia and Taylor talked about Jesus saying, it is finished. And I was, it's funny because when I was preparing for this, I really felt like I should wait until I heard Taylor speak before I started writing stuff down. And I was sitting there and he was talking and I went, ah, that's where I'm supposed to start. So Jesus said from the cross, Tetelestai, which is it is finished, and, and Taylor talked about that, that present continuous, so it's happened and it's happening, and uh, that might be a little bit easier, um, and it, it occurred to me that Jesus could have said something else at that moment from the cross. He didn't, but he could have said, it has started, in that same sense of that present continuous, and that moment the cross is a moment in history that represents both finishing and beginning. It is, uh, if we think about it in terms of the temple, it is the finish of the temporal era of Israel and the inauguration of the temple of the people of Christ. Um, and there are many other ways we can look at it like that. So, and... I said the, the, the day the revolution began is quite hard to read under there. And actually the day the revolution began was, was Good Friday on the cross. That was when the price was paid. But the day we know the revolution was confirmed, for want of a better word, is today when Jesus was raised from the dead and when he was resurrected and the promise that that means for us in terms of resurrection. So I'm going to skate through a whole lot of different things. I mean, you could talk about this forever, really. Uh, and I'm just, this is a bit of a brain dump of a whole bunch of different things that I think um, 
it's just been on my heart for, for a long time and, and I guess that what I feel is the right thing to say today. So the first thing, well, hopefully that's not too hard to read. I, would, I did, I did a, a quick gloss through all of the Gospels. And there's this question, right? So resurrection is the start of something. And there's this, there's this question for me when you read the accounts of the resurrection. What is Jesus restoring? And what is he starting? And so there's this, this new movement, this new thing, right? So when you read the Gospels, the, the disciples didn't get it. They thought he was going to lead them in a war against Rome. Right? They, they didn't quite follow because that was what people thought the Messiah would do. But he, was, he wasn't just taking on the empire of the day. He was taking on empire, full stop. The structures of corruption and sin that pervade our world. That was what Jesus was fighting and that was the war that he won on the cross and in the resurrection. So, and one of the first things he does, I think is, is wonderful, I ask that question, right? Who did he first appear to in the garden? Mary. You, you know the story, right? So um, in John 20, they go to, Mary goes and, and the other women go to the tomb and they see that the, the tomb is empty and they run back and get the disciples and John and Peter run and see that the, the tomb is empty and then go back to the upper room. Mary stays and she's, in the, and she's in the garden and she hears someone and she thinks it's a gardener. She turns to that person and says, where have you taken him? And then he says, Mary. And she realizes, she sees then that it's the risen Jesus. Now, I owe this insight to Natalia. I, I don't know if she got it from somewhere, but she was talking a while ago about how when you think about that, if you go all the way back to the beginning, the snake, the accuser, the enemy, spoke to a woman in the garden. And then at the very beginning of the new kingdom, and that, caught, that was the start of the fall, the very beginning of the redemption from the fall, Jesus speaks to a woman in the garden. And it's just this, this really nice kind of, you know, th th this is the start. This is where he begins. He actually goes back to there and restores, starts rest his restoration with that. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then he, he appears... I've sort of put these in a rough, what I think is a chronological order. It's not really clear from the Gospels what order they go in. But the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, that is the day, that is just after the death of Jesus, right? They're leaving Jerusalem. They're fleeing, most likely, because they're worried about persecution. Because, you know, what, what do you do when you, when you take down a rebel movement and you take out its leader, what do you do next? Take out the lieutenants, right? Take out the others. So they're, they're off. And that's my supposition. But that's, um, and so they're walking along, and Jesus appears to them and walks along with them. They don't recognize it's him. And he unpacks the Old Testament. He unpacks scripture, the Hebrew scriptures, the, the, uh, the prophets, and, and the Torah, and the Pentateuch. And, and, he, and he, he outlines for them what is supposed to happen and what they all meant. 
they still don't realize it's him until he breaks bread with them, which I think is, is, is so cool. Um, so he is not just starting by restoring things from when they were fallen, but he's also speaking to the fulfillment of prophecy. And then in all of those prophecies, there is further prophecy about what is to come about the future, about the new heavens and the new earth. And so that starts, speaks to that. If we've fulfilled this, then this is coming. And then one of the things I think we really have to um, grapple with, and, and as Christians, is just we, we, we kind of need to accept, is that when we talk about resurrection, we're not talking about some spiritual thing. Jesus was bodily resurrected. He appears to the disciples in the upper room. Thomas, who wasn't there, goes, yeah, whatever. Because, I mean, you, you would, right? I mean, it's, it's such an unusual thing to happen, so unlikely. You'd be like, oh, yeah, come on, you guys might be a bit deluded. But then he appears again, and they touch his wounds, right? That picture there, which you can't really see in the upper room, is, is I think, Rembrandt. There's this great painting of Jesus standing there holding up his shirt or his toga or whatever and Thomas kind of leaning in and poking it. It's really visceral in, 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 a, in a, a really wonderful way. So he was physically resurrected. This is bodily resurrection. And also then in Galilee, there are two accounts or two things that, he, that it says in the Gospels that he does in Galilee. He meets the disciples there. So they're out on a fishing boat, and this is in John 21. They're kind of um, not really sure about what to do and, and what to do next. And, 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 and so he, they're fishing, and they don't, they're not catching any fish. And someone calls from the shore, put the net on the other side. And so they put the net on the other side, and they catch a bunch of fish. And the disciple who Jesus loved, which are, is, who gets talked about in John, which we presume is John, says, It's the Lord. Peter throws himself into the water and swims ashore and the rest come ashore in the boat and they eat with Jesus and Jesus also shows us another really critical thing about the new kingdom because Peter denied him three times on the night he was crucified on the day he was crucified and then here Jesus restores him to his love into the kingdom and he also in Matthew and uh, in, in when he gives the Great Commission that is also in Galilee and there's a really interesting little thing that I guess I saw for a new time when I was reading this so if you go to Matthew uh, 28 um, the Great Commission. This is, I'll read from verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And, you know, I, I guess when I think about my walk with Christ, you know, I've always, I, I, I have this foundational, yep, absolutely, God is real, Jesus is real, the tomb was empty, he's resurrected. And yet at the same time, every step I've taken in my walk with Christ has been accompanied by doubt. And here, his 11 disciples are with him, the resurrected Christ, on the mountain, 
about to receive the Great Commission, and still they feel doubt. So I just want to say that it's okay, right? Faith isn't the absence of doubt. Faith is belief in the presence of doubt, and at least that's been my experience. So, I mean, that's a really quick canvas of the resurrection appearances in the Gospels. And the last one is in Acts, where he, uh, after 40 days, he then ascends to heaven. So, what does it all mean? What does resurrection mean? As I've said, it's bodily resurrection. So, if... So, what happens on the cross, right, is Jesus dies, and then he's raised to life. So what does that mean? That means death is overcome. And if death is overcome, sin is overcome, for the wages of sin is death. If you overcome death, you overcome sin. And in, in Romans 6.3, it says the wages of sin is death, and that's actually also quoting Proverbs 10.16. So these, it's not like it was a new idea then. This was this idea that had been flowing through the story. And then if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, so I really encourage you, if you want to read about resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul really unpacks what he sees that it means, is a fantastic piece of scripture to read. I've just got a few bits of it. So um, 15, 54 to 58. This is how he closes this, this passage on resurrection. When the perishable has been clothed with the, imp- clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Whether you see the fruit of your labor or not, you are laboring for now, but you're also laboring for that new heaven and the new earth. So what does resurrection mean? It means we are promised eternal life and abundant life now. So we are promised eternal life. And when you look at scripture, there's um, most of the talk about the resurrection is that we will be raised in the new heavens and the new earth. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 22 says, For since death came through... Uh, uh, 15, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So we are promised this resurrection, this new life, this bodily new life in the new heavens and the new earth. Which is pretty cool. And, um, and so... We're made for this future. And one of the things I like about um, kingdom theology, which is the theology that the vineyard movement is, is based on, is that there's this idea of the already and the not yet. 
that we live both in the, the present reality of the kingdom that has been inaugurated and it is here now, and we live in the reality that it is yet to come because he has not come again. And, but that, and the way I, like, I think about that sometimes is that that makes us kind of lightning rods of the new kingdom. As we are the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as each of us is a living stone in the new temple of God, we are the place of the presence of, of the kingdom in the world. As we walk in our work, in our church, in our families, with our friends, wherever we are, we are the presence of the kingdom. And God is present in us, and, and the Holy Spirit is present in us to be that place of uh, the kingdom breaking through. And we can pray for that, we can seek that. And it means, you know, when, when, we, when, when Scripture talks about the reign of God and the rule and reign of God, right, which is the kingdom of God, it talks about this being a place of no tears, no despair, right? The lion lies down with the lamb. It is this place of peace and love. And it is this, uh, you know, this, this, this place that we long for. It's in our hearts. But, and you think about that being brought into being. And I guess this is the part that I've, I've been most um, challenged by in preparing for this. Because there's this question, right? We, we, uh, when Caleb was talking, we talked about, he, he mentioned that um, there's war in Ukraine. And we see that there are, for want of better words, systems of evil in our world that oppress, that enslave, that, uh, and, and, and humans have created these structures that, that, um, that dehumanize people. And if we're going to have this new heaven and this new earth, well, hang on, where is the justice? Where is the justice? for all the wrong that has happened. When I think about um, different philosophies of good and evil, there are a lot of secular ones, and there's, there's this idea, actually, that there's this quite popular one, and you'll see it. It's quite popular, actually, now amongst the, the tech bros, as it were, you know, the, the Elon Musks of the world, where there's this kind of idea of this technological ascension where people will overcome death and, and, and scarcity and all of that through creating new technologies that will, that will have one day eventually solve all of our problems. Fine, but where is the justice for all the people who were enslaved along the way? For all of the people who suffered under the systems of oppression that existed before that happened? So it's a, it's a very empty story. But there's this, the story of Scripture is the story from the garden to the garden city and there's this fall, and there's this redemption and recreation along the way, and there is judgment. <clears throat> Resurrection means judgment. There's a quote here, so I've been reading a, um, a Revelation for Everyone, which is a commentary on uh, Revelation by Tom Wright, and he says here, I'm just going to read it because it might be hard to see. Uh, this is on Revelation 18, 1 to 8. John's vision is of, is, is of that which Rome in, a, in his day was the obvious and classic example. The city which sits in luxury at the heart of empire, dispensing favours upon the fawning and fee-paying visitors, giving royal treatment to those who can be useful or have a substantial bank balance, 
and tossing aside as so much trash those who can't and haven't. Empires come and empires go. It is cold comfort to be told that this is that that told that this is that that great system will eventually fall by its own weight and be replaced by another which must may still be worth worse rather. What matters is, God, is that God's purposes of judgment and mercy will be worked out, not necessarily as we might like, but as God sees best. So, what's happening? And if you, Revelation is, is, is a is a fascinating book to read, and I know there are many different ways of reading it and understanding it. But the, the, the thing that I want to talk about really is that when you read Revelation right from about 4 through to 19, there is this ongoing prophetic, polemic, for want of a better word, against the systems of empire, the systems of corruption, the... The, and the people who profit from it. And Babylon is the, the figurative example in there, and it speaks to all empire. I mean, and, and if you look in, in Scripture in the Old Testament, Babylon has become the symbol of corrupt, the corrupt systems that people put in place to attain heaven by their own works and to attain power by their own works. That enslave. Um, there's this one bit in Revelation where there's this, they're talking about the, the, the destruction of Babylon and there's this long list of all the things that Babylon has, many of which are not bad things, right? And it talks about the importing of, you know, how they bring in gold and silver and gems and, and, uh, and all this. And let me just see if I can find it. Oh, yeah, here we go. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys the, car the cargo anymore, their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice and incense and myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages. I'm just going to pause there. So those aren't necessarily bad things. In fact, when you look at Revelation 21, some of those things are reflected in the new city of God. But it finishes with, and human beings sold as slaves. This is God's judgment against the destruction of the image of God and people by people. You know, I look at, you know, there's talk of war crimes and, and there's famine and there's, there, are, there are things that, that the, the structures and systems of the world that have been put in place that, you know, mean that we, there are haves and have-nots. That is not the kingdom of God. That is not. And, and God will pronounce judgment on those things. And I think when, when you look at Revelation, one of the things that that happens in there is actually the judgment comes about as the corrupt system actually caves in on itself because it cannot be sustained by its own weight, you know, the, the weight of its own sin. Um, kingdoms based on lies. It's really challenging stuff to read. It really is. And I think that that, you know, that, that resurrection, so it's really easy 
to talk about resurrection and talk about it being this thing that we, you know, we get this new life and, and, and all of that. And I think and to our modern sensibilities, we kind of shy away from this idea of judgment. It's really, it's, it's really not very politically correct. Right? It's not. And it, it, it's this, this and, and I think I get that. Because when we look at human judgment, it's flawed, right? We are flawed, we are broken, we are imperfect. We cannot judge perfectly. But God's judgment is true and just. And, and actually, in our hearts, we cry out for it. You hear, like, I, I, it's funny, again, talking about modern philosophy, people, you, know, you get these moral philosophers who will talk about what they call moral relativism, which is this idea that, you know, what I believe is good for me and what you believe is good for you. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's just fine, right? So it's all relative. But one of the things I find, you know, as a compelling piece of evidence that that's not true is, is children. How old was it, if you have kids, before one of your kids said, it's not fair? Right? They, it's like they have this instinctive sense that something is not fair. Now, usually, it's kind of self-serving, right, for, with kids. But still, there's a sense of wrongness, right? And that something's not right, and it's not fair, and it's wrong. Even in small children, right, toddlers, start to come out with this. So we, we, we hunger for justice. We do, and I think we get very good in our society about squashing that down because it feels kind of wrong to be thinking about that. But we hunger for justice. I think one of the things that you see sometimes, especially when there are natural disasters and people going, um, and people blaming God for it, even though they don't believe in him. And, and it's, it's like there's this, it's, there's this primal thing in us. It says in Ecclesiastes that, that, that we're made with eternity in our hearts. And, and I think we, just, we, we have this hunger for all sorts of things, for true love, redeeming love, for mercy, for compassion, for peace, but also for justice and when we say lord let your kingdom come one of the things we're asking for is justice which requires the judgment of the lord the empires of power the empires of corruption will be judged but and this is really 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 core and important not by us. It is not our job as Christians to judge. Romans, 6, uh, Romans 12, 19 says, uh, Vengeance is mine, which is quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35. God judges, not us. We pray and we wait for his judgment. So what does that mean for us? So as it says up there, like, what does it mean for us? Resurrection, judgment, and the faithful. Romans 12, vengeance is mine. I will repay Deuteronomy. I will get revenge and pay them back. And in Revelation 12, 11, it says, but they overcame him, that is, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. So what, what is our job as followers of Jesus? It's to be the resurrection lightning rod 
in the world where you are today. It is to wait patiently for the day of the Lord. And it is to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Not through our strength. Not through what we have done, but by through what God has done in us. What Jesus has done in us and in the world. I mean, this is the, 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 the great invitation, the great commission. Go and make disciples. is to go into the world and be the, the person who is the connection for people who are in despair to ultimate hope. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. And, and often, you know, when I read that, I think, oh, well, what is my testimony? But it's not just that. It's not just my personal testimony. It's the testimony of this church. I can tell your stories. And it's the testimony of the church. There are so many things we can talk to, both practical and supernatural, that have happened in our lives, in the life of this church, in the life of the church in Wellington, in New Zealand, and in the history of the church. You know, I talked about that bit in Revelations where it talks about the whole list of goods and then says, and human bodies, and humans because they sold them as slaves. Christians fought for the abolition of slavery. So there are these, there are these testimonies, the word of their testimony. We overcome by the word of our testimony and the power of Jesus and his power of his blood and by being faithful to persevere. Now, we are blessed in that we live in a country where, generally speaking, we are unlikely to be killed for our faith. But that is not the case for many Christians. But we still are called to persevere in a system that is corrupt. So one of the things that people we sometimes hear people talking about um, uh, antichrist governments my view is that any system set up by humans is inherently antichrist the only the only government that is christ-like is christ's government and that will come but we have to live in that world and we have to be his agents in that world and one of the things again that it talks about in revelation and other parts of scripture is about how do we discern when we're walking how are we walking in the system that doesn't really want us there? How do we walk in faith in that system? In whatever we do, in the businesses that we run or that we work in, in the homes that we live in, in the community groups that we go and talk to, how do we operate in this way that represents what, God, what Jesus has done for us? How do we be overcomers? People who overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, and by persevering. And I think I'm going to end on this, because um, I think that there's, there's these ideas that have been rattling around in my head, and I think, what are we? What are children of God? We are hope bringers. New Zealand has a, one of the highest suicide rates in the OECD. We are a country that has lost hope. How do we be people who bring real hope to situations, who be messengers and, and, and carriers of hope? How do we be peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers. How do we, how do we become peacemakers? There's this podcast um, 
Live No Lies podcast, which is a, a series of talks. There's a book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer that I recommend. And there's this podcast, and in that he interviews different people. Um, and he interviews, is it, is it JT Thomas? Yeah. yeah, this guy JT Thomas, who has this, mo this movement that he started in the States called Civil Righteousness. And it's kind of a response to the civil rights movement and the Black Lives Matter and all of that stuff that was going on. And he's a black man, JT Thomas, and he talks about his reaction to seeing the video of George Floyd, right, being, being murdered. And, and the thing that struck me about this was that he said, I could have reacted. I could have gone out there and burned things down. I had to let God work in me before I could work in the world. And I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a, something in that for us. How do we let God work in us so that we may work in the world? How do we let God make peace in us so that we can be peacemakers? How do we, we let God sow hope in us so that we can be hope bringers? He said he had to go, two days he spent just praying and seeking God and scripture to center himself back on Christ. So that then he could go and what the civil righteousness movement does is when there are protests, they're out there praying on the streets with people. They go out into the streets and they don't go out there to protest, they go out there to pray for people. And to pray against the spirits and the, and the, 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 the words of the enemy that are being sown in that space. We can be mercy sharers. It's a really, actually a really hard thing to share mercy with people. Well, sometimes it's easy, right, if you have no attachment to them. A long time ago, I had this person that I worked with who I really struggled with, who, who just always seemed to be wanting to cut me down and, and undermine me and just sort of speak against me and all this kind of stuff. And I was really wound up about this person and was kind of this, this root of bitterness was forming inside me. And... We went to, uh, I think it was actually a new wine conference and Lloyd Rankin was speaking and he spoke about mercy. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but uh, in, in, the, in the prayer bit, he said, who is it that you need to give mercy to? And bam, this person, front of mind. And I was just like, no, God. I, that, that, oh, no. And so, but it didn't leave me, and so I went, okay, fine. And, but you're going to have to help me here. And it's not like I went to this person and said, I, I'm, I'm going to be merciful to you. I never told them what happened. But I made a choice then with God's uh, power and support by the blood of the Lamb, because I couldn't do it in my own strength, to just be merciful to that person. And every time they spoke against me, to bless them, to speak positively of them, to others, to them. And the relationship changed, transformed over a period of months. It didn't happen overnight, but over a period of months, they became, we wouldn't say we're fast friends, but we were both involved in this group that was quite political, and they became a, a really staunch ally, and we worked together quite a lot. Um, we can be love givers. We live in a world where, where love is in short supply, right? There's lots of lust. Right? There's lots of um, other things, but actually freely giving love as we have been given. That is kingdom work. And it's, you know, we can love the people that are close to us, but how do we love the people that aren't 
we can we can be different in this world light bearers you know that we talk about there's so much darkness how do we carry light how do we carry truth how do we carry and speak the truth of scripture in a way that is also brings hope and makes peace and gives mercy and love and we can be this is a little you know token gesture to marty we can be healing conduits we can we can be vessels of the kingdom we can be channels of the kingdom channels of the spirit in all of these things whether it's praying for people's physical healing whether it's helping people listening to them supporting through their emotional trials and we can always pray for all of these things we can also stand with people and walk with them this is resurrection life our lives have been taken over by the Lord to be given for his kingdom to bring life and hope and love and peace and mercy to others. That is the challenge of resurrection and the blessing of it because as it says, we overcome by the power of the blood of the lamb. He has done it. It is finished. He, he has done it and he is doing it and he has started it and he promises to walk with you and work with you in all of this and it's just it's such such an incredible thing to have this gift um, and and to to be able to walk the the path that he has for us now what it means for you in your life is going to be different to what it means for me in my life because it's not like we're living the same life, right? So we have to seek him and just trust him each day. It's not about making a big deal out of it, right? How do we just get up in the morning and go and say, Lord, give me eyes to see, ears to hear. Here's where I can speak a word of hope. Here's where I can share encouragement. Here's where I can make peace whatever it is because he will put opportunities in front of us i mean our world is full of opportunities to be those people who are different and i think that you know there's a talks about how we are aliens in the world right and there's that sense in which we are you know there's this thing in our culture right now that's that's seen as a really bad thing about how how we make people other and I, I get that, but actually, as Christians, there's a point at which we want to be other. We want to be different to the world. We want to be able to stand apart. And I would encourage you uh, to take what J.T. Thomas said, to think about how do you respond, not how do you react. And if something is happening, that is where you're losing your peace or where you're losing your hope or, or where you're reacting to something and you're, you're, you're angry or you're upset or you're bitter. Ask God to work in you. Do a work in you. And bring his resurrection life into that space so that you can then take that into the world as a hope bearer, a peacemaker, and a love giver. Um, so I think um, to close, what I would like to do is just if we could pray, and I'll, I'll, I'll um, pray a blessing, an Easter blessing on us. But if you want prayer for anything, 
Uh, if you want, if there's things going on for you right now where you feel like you need God to do a work in you so that you can do work in the world, then I would love to pray with you, and I'm sh- as I'm sure others would. Uh, and also, I believe there are treats and other things happening um, afterwards, so uh, also feel free to hang around for all that. So if we just stand. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you accomplished, for what you finished on the cross and what you started. It's such a a, a mind-boggling thing to think that, that through your work we have entrance into the courts of heaven. You know, we can come before you Lord and ask for the grace and the mercy we need in our moment of crisis or whatever is going on we thank you for your resurrection Lord Jesus <coughs> Excuse me. we thank you for the life that you give us now and the life the eternal life that you promise in the new heaven and the new earth we thank you that we can stand and overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, the testi- of, of our testimony. And I ask now, Lord Jesus, for your blessing on each and every person here. That you would do and continue to do the work in our hearts so that we can be the lightning rods of your kingdom, so that we can be the agents of your resurrection, so that we can be bringers of hope and givers of love and makers of peace in the world so that we might walk the path that you have for us Lord I thank you for your resurrection and I thank you for all that it means for us and and all that it means for this world it's such it's it's almost too marvelous to behold and I ask Lord that you would increase our understanding and that you would deepen our knowledge and, and, and our wisdom and our love and our peace Lord I thank you for Easter. I thank you for what you've done and what you're doing and what you will do. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.